Hey marketers, if you want to get the latest news, trends, and insights in marketing, advertising, and tech, check out the Adweek Podcast Network. Learn from leading voices across media and marketing with original shows like Yeah, That's Probably an Ad, Marketing Vanguard, and Tech Magic with Kathy Hackle. Start listening now by searching Adweek wherever you listen to podcasts. My dad works in B2B marketing. He came by my school for career day and said he was a big ROAS man. Then he told everyone how much he loved calculating his return on ad spend. My friends still laugh at me to this day. Not everyone gets B2B, but with LinkedIn, you'll be able to reach people who do. Get $100 credit on your next ad campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash generate to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash generate. Terms and conditions apply. LinkedIn, the place to be, to be. Hey, this is David. Before we get started, I just want to make sure you know about a new awards program uh, that we just launched. Then submissions are now open. It's the Adweek Podcast of the Year Awards. So if you work at a company that produces podcasts or you're involved with the podcast uh, professionally, uh, you'll definitely want to check it out. Uh, We're honoring podcasts and individuals across 20 different categories. Uh, Some of those cover types of podcasts like thought leadership podcasts, creativity, technology, uh, all sorts of different types. We've also got awards for individuals like Executive of the Year or Podcast Innovator of the Year, Producer, Host, uh, Editor. So it's uh, it's a really great program that is going to honor people who I think don't really get a lot of appreciation or definitely don't get enough appreciation for all the work they put into shows like, like this one, although ours isn't eligible, but yours could be. So check it out at podcastoftheyearawards.com or just go to adweek.com and look for events at the top and you can find the Podcast Awards link there or go to podcastoftheyearawards.com. Thanks, and I hope you enter. You're listening to Yeah, That's Probably an Ad. This is the Adweek Podcast, where we talk about marketing, media, technology, pop culture, because in the end, everything is an ad. I'm David Greiner. I'm the creative and innovation editor at Adweek. Uh, we do not have... Uh, Kamiko McCoy, our co-host, uh, is is out uh, today, but uh, have her back soon uh, and eager to hear about everything she picked up uh, at uh, the big industry conference she was at recently. Uh, but happy to have Minda Smiley, a staff writer covering the agency's beat. Minda, great to have you on. Thank you. And we've had you on before. This isn't your first yeah, one. Yeah, right? this is my yeah. second time. All right. Veritable veteran. Uh, And speaking of audio veterans, we've got (laughs) Doug Zanger, (laughs) senior editor here at Adweek uh, on the agency's beat. Uh, Doug, great to have you on. Good to be back. All right. Uh, We're going to dive into it because we've got a lot of fun stuff to talk about. First, we're going to talk about the forgotten generation. So Generation X, my generation, my people. Uh, Doug, me Doug too. I'm, I'm the front. Yeah, I'm the front end of that. So I'll just yeah. be quiet for a little bit. <laughs> Minda, Minda will be the voice of the important generation. <laughs> um, no, so what came up this week? It was actually pretty fun. Uh, Gen X and like I don't think people complain about this too much, but it's like Gen X is just never in the spotlight. Like it's never in the discussion. And there's famously been all these like infographics on TV news that say, you know, boomer colon, millennials colon, Gen Z colon. <laughs> You're just like, let's forget about that like 30 year swath of humans <laughs> that exists in the middle. But yes. uh, Generation X, children of the 80s uh, and teenagers of the 90s, uh, you know, that era 
uh, we, you know, we just, we just don't come up as much because millennials, I think, have been a much more impactful generation, a much more digitally native generation. And then the boomers are kind of taking the blame for everything <laughs> that's wrong with our world. So it's, it's nice in that respect. But the reason this all came up uh, this past week is because Spotify in the UK uh, did a campaign. It was a UK campaign, but it, it felt universal in my heart. <laughs> <laughs> like, we'll go with that to, to everyone in my age range um it was uh it, it's called listen like you used to um and uh let me let me pull up a few of the better ones here but this was an outdoor campaign uh and you know outdoors got to be pretty pithy and you know get, get to the point pretty quickly that's something that spotify has always done really well i think a lot of people know spotify from their uh, outdoor ads that are about data. Mindy, you remember those when it was like specific data points? Mm-hmm. They still do those sometimes, I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They have, yeah end of yeah. the year they do it too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Around Christmas. Yeah. Yep. They're like the, the one person, you know, the one thing brand that's not creepy with your data. You know what I mean? Like, well, we don't know that yet. Yeah, <laughs> at least I mean, it, in the ads. <laughs> it's like if if most companies made ads that were like, you know, seventy four percent of people watch this after doing this, you'd be like, hey, get out of my life, man. But when it's Spotify, you're like, oh, yeah, I sure do. <laughs> I sure do listen to that song a lot when I'm in the bathtub. You know, it's like it's always just some bizarro stat. Uh, but so with the listen like you used to is very targeted at. I think they said anyone who was a teenager between 1979 and 1999. Uh, which which puts me and Doug, I think, both in that wheelhouse. Uh, yeah. Like, Doug, when, when did you graduate high school? 1987. Okay, yeah. And uh, I graduated in 94, I think, something like that, 94, 95. So uh, I, was, I, I graduated in, like, the height of the grunge moment. Like, I pretty much only wore flannel my entire freshman year of... Uh, of college and, and you didn't live in portland or seattle i'm no, i lived in i lived in alabama man it was like 900 <laughs> degrees <laughs> i was wearing flannel what, like, questioning those life choices <laughs> yeah it was fun so so these ads uh, basically contrast a year with uh with 2019 so there's one that says 1995 smashing pumpkins 2019 smashing avocados uh, one of my personal favorites, I don't know if this will come across in audio, 1983, UB40, Red Red Wine, which of course was a hit song by the band UB40. Uh, and then it says 2019, UB40, Red Red Wine. So now you're 40 years old and you drink tons of red wine. The math doesn't quite line up, but I'm going to say that it's still spiritually, it's a message that I think everybody, that was the one that I think cut right to the quick for a lot of people. We're just like, oof, oh man. They're like, you're 40 now, and uh, you're just sitting around guzzling wine, thinking about your glory days. Uh, one said 1979, London calling, 2019, conference calling. <laughs> that was another one that, that hurt a, l- a little too much. Uh, and then they and then they had some that were kind of very British, I think, but most of them like uh, you know felt pretty good. The 1988, you're 24 hour party people, and 2019, you are. Oh, yeah. You are two to four hour party people. <laughs> it's like, ooh, right to the bone. Although millennials have to agree on that. Like, I feel like millennials are even the first to be like, right, I've been out for an hour now. I think it's time for me to be in bed. <laughs> yeah, right. I can attest to that. <laughs> so this campaign uh, was from a, a London agency called Who, What, Why. I think the what is W-O-T. Uh, Doug, I had not heard of them before. Had you heard of these guys? No. No, I hadn't. Yeah, which says a lot. You're kind of a London agency nerd. So, you know. uh, (laughs) That's one way of putting it. Sure. We'll go with that. 
Yeah, well, you know, it's like you're you're into the London agency scene, which is a very cool uh, agency yes, scene, yeah. um, and it's been having a hell of a run the last few years. And you've got shops like Uncommon uh, and Lucky Generals, and I mean, just a ton, ton of really good shops in London, uh, despite the kind of economic uh, anxieties of living in Britain at the moment. Uh, or anywhere on the earth at this moment, uh, you know, it seems like London's having a great time. But they, this conversation that came out of it was really just about how Gen X is never really targeted by advertising, at least not overtly. It's like everyone wants to appeal to millennials, and and a lot of brands want to appeal to boomers who are complicated, you know, because it's like people, you can't just say like retirees, you know, mm-hmm. um, because a lot of them are still very active and still very involved in different things and don't consider themselves just like old people who only care about, you know, nest eggs or whatever it is that you put in retirement ads. Um, but but at the same time, this this campaign, basically, it, it's not like it was a deep uh, life perspective on Gen X. It was just like, hey, you exist. You're t- <laughs> like, you, you guys, you guys are still alive. Here's an ad campaign that references. But, you know, Doug, I, I feel like I saw a lot of people uh, really resonate with this campaign. Yeah, I first of all, hat tip to our friend Vicky Ross over in London who uh, put this to our attention and her friends snapped some, uh, as the technical term, David, is in situ. Uh, so, yes, in situ, the in situation, uh, my, one of my favorite industry terms, like if you ask for a photo of an ad in situ, it means like you mm-hmm. want it on the actual billboard. So just, just right. sharing some jargon for the folks who don't know that one. Right, exactly. And yeah, I, what I think I liked about this was it, it's a nod and it's a wink and it's, you know, it's not trying too hard. It's, it, it, it's one of those things where the over, one of the overwrought terms in our industry is universal truth. And, and to Spotify's credit, they've been very good at doing this in a way that feels conversational, that feels, that feels real. And I think that it really did resonate because the, there is a sense of nostalgia, I think, within our generation, but it's not, we're not, um, we're not so nostalgic that it's like, oh my God, everything was better back then. I think it was just, it was nice to have that, that nod. Um, yeah. And I, and I think that it's good that it was just there. It wasn't overdone. It wasn't overwrought and it, it, it hit it just square right in the middle of the target. Well, I feel like there's been a few other ads kind of in this space aimed at the, maybe the older uh, millennials, uh, as well as some of the Gen X folk. Like I, I was thinking about the progressive one, right? It's progressive that does the turning into your parents campaign. Right. And that's another one that kind of, it's kind of, kind of hurts a little bit <laughs> because you're right. just like, maybe, maybe a little bit like the one where, uh, where like the husband, it's like they get married and five minutes later, the husband looks like, like a grandpa <laughs> and the wardrobe is just dead on, uh, you know, just, and they, uh, there's the one with like the guy going to the club and he's like helping his friends prepare for the night and like asking everybody, you know, it's, that's a, that's a, a pretty good one, but they kind of go over the top with the joke. Um, but I feel like, like Minda, that's something that millennials are already running into too, is just like reaching that age of, yeah, we're just, we're not. We're not in the cusp of our like even millennials have already kind of handed that torch off to Gen Z of like the younger partying, going out and enjoying life generation. Oh yeah, I definitely agree. I think now with Gen Z kind of um, being in the spotlight more, it's like <laughs> millennials are uh, you know we're kind of our day in the limelight is gone. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we I don't all know get about there. That. Jeez. No. <laughs> 
We're still counting on you. Like, all right, you still got time, still got time <laughs> save to us. save the world. But I don't know. I just feel like Gen Z is now like what you're always hearing about. Yeah, and it's, uh, it, you know, this sparked a lot of different discussions too. I saw about how different, you know, cultural groups and and you know, if you grew up black in a city, like your your perception of the '90s is very different. Then, so like, it made me kind of realize like I have this very typical suburban white view of growing up in the '80s and '90s. You know. Um, and, and it, you know, I had some good conversations with people who are not, you know, friends of mine who are not white and grew up with very different music and different, you know, cultural milestones. And so it's generations are, you know, famously complex things. You can't just you can't just pin them down. Uh, but but I enjoy those conversations. I, I, I like when I think everyone agrees that when advertising tries to target an entire generation, it tends. Yeah, it's kind of silly. Yeah. It's like you tend mm-hmm. to, to lose any sense of nuance whatsoever. And it's just yeah. like, didn't you love. SpongeBob, like yeah, you can't really. Yeah, like, what was find... yeah? What was yours? What was your cartoon of choice, Minda? Um, I was more Rugrats. I could see that with you. Yeah, that's acceptable. Yeah, yeah, I was like very loyal to Nickelodeon. I refused to watch the Disney Channel. <laughs> so edgy of you. <laughs> I know, <laughs> but yeah. So like any '90s Nickelodeon cartoon, I I'm a fan of. Hey man, that's yeah, and now it's all coming to it's all coming to streaming. Yeah. Your, your Viacom, <laughs> yep. your Viacom streaming services, and yeah, it's. Uh, so I'm sure that'll be a conversation for another day. It's like I'm, I'm waiting for all these streaming services to actually really materialize, so we can really start arguing about which ones are worth, you know, are actually worth. Mm-hmm. But right now, it's like there's 25 coming in the next year, right. and it's they're like, all going to yeah. be yeah, they'll all morph into one thing, and it'll just be called Plus Plus. <laughs> they all have the same. <laughs> they all have the same name. Yeah. So it's this, you know, Viacom Plus, Disney Plus. Oh, yeah. All streaming services must have a plus now. I mean, if yes. you're like when Peacock rolled out the other day, I was just like, you mean Peacock Plus, right? <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm not subscribing plus. to it. Some base Peacock. Like, I need I need the full Peacock Plus. Like, look at the iPhone, right? They know what's up. Put out that mm-hmm. iPhone Plus. All right. Uh, well, <laughs> that was enough uh, generational uh, backtrack. But, you know, hey, Gen X, we're here for you. It's nice to celebrate the fact they still exist. But now let's move on to give some updates on uh, the climate coverage that we talked about last week. Uh, we're going to take a little break and we'll be back to talk about all that. All right, we're back. Uh, if you listened to last week's episode, we talked about how we were embarking on uh, participating in an effort called Covering Climate Now. This was a uh, effort involving, uh, I think, more than 250, probably even more than that, publications around the world uh, who were participating in this. Adweek was very proud to participate, um, but basically to do our best to highlight uh, how sustainability, climate change, a lot of these topics are affecting the industries we cover. Uh, it certainly comes up a lot uh, with, uh, with marketing. And uh, I, I was very proud with Adweek's contribution to this. At, uh, at one point, uh, I think halfway through the week or so, we were the, we had contributed more content than any other publication to covering climate now, which was uh, very cool to see just how much our staff had to uh, contribute to this, and then how much our industry uh, really was contributing to this conversation. Uh, Minda, what were you covered? Some of the really interesting ones from the larger agency perspective, especially it sounds like in Britain, they 
it just mm-hmm. feels like they're a little uh, there's a lot of love for the for the British uh, agency world in this episode but uh, it sounds like they're kind of ahead of the game on this issue yeah they're definitely leading the charge I mean uh, one of the stories I wrote this week was about um, this group called the purpose disruptors and um, they kind of started last year very informally it was just this group of agency execs that would just kind of meet in a pub every week and just talk about climate change and the industry's role in in climate change and, and what we can do. Um, and they've really picked up steam the past few months. They've gotten some initiatives out there to kind of rally the industry together. Most recently, they um, they started this, I guess, pledge, you could call it, um, called covering or create and strike. That's what it was called, create and strike, where they kind of asked um, agency executives to not only let their employees um, have time off to participate in the global climate strikes, but also to actually have them create stuff that can be used to strike and and really used, um, you know, just use the industry's creative firepower to to kind of um, get the message across that something needs to be done about climate change. And um, and so, yeah, to your point, I really think um, it seems like uh, – the, the UK is a little bit um, ahead of the US when it comes to to really having a voice and, and, and a perspective on this. Um, but the, you know, it really is becoming a global effort. And I think we're seeing the US kind of jump on that now, too. Um, and so and so, yeah, it'll be interesting to see, you know, kind of once this climate summit, these strikes kind of die down where where we go from there. That's what I'm looking at is it's great that we're doing this, but and Minda, you and I have talked about this before as it relates to politics, where it's great that an agency will have a point of view, they'll have an opinion. Uh, going back to the 2016 campaign, there were a bunch of stunts and you know against Donald Trump, and agencies will do these things, but there's a certain perishability to them, and the question also becomes, does it necessarily have an impact? And what I'd like to see is agencies really continue to build off of this instead of just saying we did this one thing here i'd like them this i'd like them to think about the 5 million other things that they can do to make this thing actually work um so i i'm glad that that it's being done of course but i'm really curious to see what needs to be done and the same could be said for us it's one week of coverage but i think internally we've had some discussions about how we continue to do this. And I know that we will we'll do something. Uh, we'll figure out what that looks like. But I know that there is a big appetite to keep this going. Well, one of the things I always think about, or the times I think about these issues, uh, is when we're preparing our Agency of the Year uh, review mm-hmm. process. And each year, we, we kind of change up the questions that we ask the agencies that are shortlisted. Uh, and last year, or last two years, we've had questions about what are you doing to advance diversity and gender balance? Like, what kind of initiatives are you taking either with clients or internally? Uh, and it's really provoked some some fascinating responses. I don't think there was one agency, one major agency in consideration that wasn't doing, uh, you know, pretty impressive things in that space. But this year we included that uh, similar question as well about sustainability and climate change, right? Because I think at the, in, in 2019, I don't think you can be the best agency on earth, the best agency in America, uh, either of those, if you're not addressing climate change in some way, right? Like it's... Mm-hmm. It's just something where, and that's not just my judgment. I mean, that's just the industry. I think anyone, any potential employee who looked at that, you know, would would just be like, "Wait, really? Seriously, you guys aren't doing anything?" <laughs> right. <laughs> like, right. Well, here's uh, the trick. On, here's the trick. Part of the trick on this too. So I uh, had a chance to sit down with uh, a global CMO from a huge company, 
And I was talking about the fact that these agencies are, are doing this. And my contention with this is that agencies have enough going on right now to try to uh, try to make margins and and just the the sheer change that's happening in the agency community i feel like that brands can start contributing a certain percentage so just throwing a number out let's say that they add an extra 15% but they're tasking the agencies with thinking about ideas that can help solve this issue or that can help improve this issue and I thought it would be, you know, I thought, I thought it was one of those statements where it would land with a thud, but this person said, you know what, that's actually a very interesting idea because then brands and agencies can go from this less vendor client relationship to partnership in solving a very, very big problem. You know, one thing, and Minda, I'd be curious to get your thoughts on this too, is I think a lot of people picture, and maybe this is true in a lot of cases, that Agencies just kind of take marching orders from clients that uh, that you know that they're just a vendor. Um, but in reality, especially the best agencies, are not only do they have this advisory role, this partnership type role that Doug's describing, but they have that role with like twenty different companies, right? So to me, that's the real benefit of an agency being, uh, you know, being really active and involved in in an issue like this is that. They're then going to take everything they learn, either working on their own or working with one client, and then they can take those lessons and you know carry it over to other clients. And and so I do think that, in a way, agencies are kind of a vector for causes like this, whether it's diversity or gender balance or uh, you know raising awareness of sexual harassment or in this case sustainability. I, I feel like agencies can be kind of this force that helps move. But I don't know. Am I being overly optimistic? <laughs> I think it really depends on the agency. I mean, I think I think I do see what you're saying, though. I think if you're an agency that really is is kind of proactive and you do work with a decent amount of clients that are interested in the cause, I mean, you you are getting a big a bigger uh, purview, I guess, of what what can be done and what should be done, and um, and that is an advantage for clients, I would imagine. So yeah, I mean, you, you look at an agency like Mother, right? Like you're if you're going to work with Mother as a brand, like you're not going to be able to just not be an environmentally at least conscious uh, brand, right? Because that's an agency mm-hmm. that has really staked a lot of their reputation in recent years. They, they created the the Greenpeace spot with uh, with Rangtan, if you remember that, that ended up being uh, right. a hu- huge hit uh, and being used by Iceland Foods, um, the grocery chain in Britain as their Christmas ad. And so, you know, that's an agency that once you get a reputation for like that, anyone who <coughs> invites you in the door, maybe it's a self-fulfilling prophecy, right? They're, they're probably not going to work with you if that's something where they don't want an agency harassing them about climate change and about, you know, not destroying the world. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't know. I, I think it. I, I think it's a good time for agencies to kind of be clear about their role in these issues. And and you look at the biggest and the best ones, and they certainly are. I mean, our our two agencies of the year for this past year were uh, Wyden and Kennedy and TBWA, right? And those are two that widen more so on the social side of things. Like, you know, if you follow Wyden and Kennedy on Instagram, like all their, none of their posts are about shoes, <laughs> like all their posts are about are about like social justice and about uh, equality, right? And about the initiatives the agency is taking. You look at TBWA and like they're doing a ton of stuff. They actually did one of my favorite kind of little little activations within this uh, within our coverage of sustainability this past week. Uh, TBWA Helsinki, which is um, one of the cooler offices in that network. Uh, they work with a uh, a newspaper, a Finnish newspaper called Helsingin Sanomat, 
which I'm probably butchering, but uh, the the name, but uh, they produced a climate pen, which was a, a writing pen where the ink was actually made from carbon dioxide from emissions. And then they, which was not easy. That sounds like something maybe you can just buy on the internet. It is not. They had to produce it. They had to actually find a way to make it. Uh, and then they gave uh, one of those pens to each of the world leaders who came to the G20 summit. Uh, so, you know, it's, it's interesting to see the role that agencies are playing and helping that because, you know, it's a newspaper. I don't think they really could have pulled off something like that if they didn't have a major agency uh, supporting them. Uh, the the other the creative piece that that was most popular on our site at least uh, was was somewhat surprising just because it it definitely was about sustainability. It's from uh, Gut in Buenos Aires. We've talked about Gut quite a bit lately. They're they're based in Miami, right, Doug? Yeah, they're Miami. Yep. Yeah. So like Gut's uh, got offices around Latin America, uh, but their Buenos Aires uh, office works with a kind of an e-commerce platform called uh, Mercado Libra. Uh, they, it's, it's almost not like an eBay, but it's a, it's kind of a backbone that people use to sell a lot of different kinds of stuff, either with e-commerce or with, um, or with auctions. Uh, so it's not like, it's not like an Amazon, but it's kind of a, a more of a platform, I guess. But anyway, they, this, uh, Mercado Libre just created this, uh, sustainable products section. Like they wanted to create a, a dedicated part of their site, uh, of their platform just for sustainable products. And so, um, Gut created this ad, which reminded me a lot of Interstellar. Did you get to watch the ad, Minda? No, I haven't watched it yet. So, like, it's it's got – we'll listen to a little bit of it here, but it's basically, like, this guy traveling around the galaxy trying to find a, a, a planet where humans can live, uh, which – and it's – it's if it, for anyone who's seen Interstellar, it's v- not only very similar. <laughs> I would say it's an intentional homage uh, to Interstellar of, like, kind of Matthew McConaughey going around trying to find a planet where humans can live before our, our own planet kind of breathes its last gasp. Uh, they did a version with some English uh, voiceover, so let's listen to that. You can get a sense of this. It's kind of like a diary of a astronaut who is um, trying to explore to find a, a, a new home for, for humans. Day 157, planet D-564, liquid, no traces of land. I really miss having dinner with anyone. Planet X-9, there are toxic particles and no oxygen. Magnesium dust storm on planet Z-6. So the ad ends with with him finding this perfect planet. And of course, it's the one we already live on, where we have, you know, oxygen and plants and water and land and everything we need. But we don't really take care of it, you know, and that's the the whole point of the ad is basically that we we roam the galaxy looking for things that we don't appreciate having here on Earth. You know, we just dump chemicals in our water. But if we found water, if we found drinkable water on another planet, we'd be like, oh, my God, this is the most incredible discovery ever. And then here we have it all over the place. And we're just like, yeah, whatever, put bleach in. <laughs> you know? so, so it's, uh, you know, it's a sick yeah, sorry. It's a it's a simple <laughs> ad. Uh, in the it's not a simple ad in the sense that it's very cinematic, very well done. I think this is one of the most cinematic ads I've ever seen out of Gut. You know, they're not a very old agency, um, and uh, this is one of the biggest ads of theirs I've seen. But it's simple in the message, right? And just in this message that like 
if we found this stuff anywhere else, we would think it was the 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 greatest discovery in human history. And yet, having access to it all now, we just take advantage of it. Uh, that post, where you know that uh, our write up about that ad was hugely popular, uh, which says a lot for it being you know it's a, it's an ad for a, a South American marketplace. It's not like people were reading it because it was about IKEA or whatever. Uh, I, I think just something about it really resonated with people. D- Doug, do you see anything else that really kind of got your attention creatively? Uh, you know, I think a lot of it was really brand driven. So a lot of it is more wide scale programs. Um, uh, on our team, Patrick Culp writing about HP. And then I followed up just talking a little bit more about the program that they're doing in Haiti. And these are really actionable, um, really actionable things that at least this company is doing. Um, they harvested, uh, and collected, I think it's over a million tons of plastic bottles and usable plastic for cartridges. And they're also using that plastic for an actual laptop. So there's progress in that. Uh, And I thought that it was just interesting because it looks like a lot of the brands around that are working on this more intensely are, they're really thinking very, very big on this. Uh, Again, it's, it seems big when you read it, but in the grand scheme, the hope is is that it's actually making more than just a, a marginal impact. Um, and I think one thing to bear in mind, too, is that with our coverage this week, which I thought was you know, clearly you've articulated how outstanding the coverage was, but one thing that I think about as we move forward is, yes, it's great that we're celebrating all of these successes, but it's important for us to really look deeply into what these companies are doing in the grand scheme. So does that mean looking a little bit closer into their practices and then companies that are on the flip side that aren't, I mean, it's not like Adweek is going to start covering the coal industry, but, you know, really taking a look in to where there are some opportunities to improve. So I, I think as the coverage moves on, uh, I'd, I'd like to see more of that, but it was heartening to see a lot of work that does show that brands and and what with what we do with agencies are taking it seriously now. Well, let's uh, let's move on to uh, the. I want to leave plenty of room to talk about our big uh, feature in the issue this week uh, that Doug's been working on tirelessly for. Uh, months now. <laughs> it's our uh, new list of the fastest growing agencies in America. It's the first time we've really crunched that data. Uh, no, I'm it's sorry, not just America. Global, sorry. The yeah. world. Yeah, the yeah. world. Uh, so uh, we will take one more quick break and then we will be right back. All right. So Doug, tell us a bit about um, the Adweek's fastest growing agencies uh, as we mentioned right before the break, it is, it is a global list. Um, but mm-hmm. how did how did we define growth? Uh, growth was essentially revenue. So we looked at revenue for the past three years of agencies that entered. There is a minimum threshold to qualify for the recognition. And uh, it was impressive to see some of these percentages. And it's it, when you get a list like that and then you start seeing it laid out on a spreadsheet and then you see some of these gaudy numbers, you think, wait, hold on. Let me, uh, math was not my strong suit, but let me just double, triple check this. And it was really nice to see some of these agencies growing by four figures and quite a number of them growing by three figures. Now, of course, anytime you have 
an award or recognition like this, some people are starting at a lower threshold. But at the same time, if even if you're starting at a point and you're growing by a thousand percent, that's extraordinarily positive momentum. And so it was it was even pretty even in terms of of revenue. There wasn't really any huge swing one way or the other. So some of the agencies started out either at or close to the minimum. Uh, and then there are some agencies that are multi-billion dollar concerns. So we were able to get a nice cross-section um, across the board. And a vast majority of those who entered and are recognized are independent agencies. I'm not sure of the exact percentage, but it's substantial. Um, what was also interesting is that it covered 21 categories. And I think, David, when you and I look back from our our days working, in your case, at an agency, in my case, working in radio, that it was you were either a full service agency or you did TV or you did radio or, or whatever, but it was mainly full service agencies. The fact that we've grown to 21 different specific disciplines, whether it's performance, whether it's experiential, uh, whether it's social, whether it's um, you know data, there, there are all these different subsections of advertising agencies and marketing agencies. And it's interesting to see what it all looks like. And to your point, they did come from all around the world. And I know in the interactions that I've had with some of the agencies that have been recognized, they're very excited about it. And I think part of it is not just the recognition, but I think as we can all attest to, the narrative around agencies right now is a bit challenging. It's tough. It's, a, it's tough to be an agency out there right now. Yet at the same time, we turn around and we see these agencies, most of whom people probably have not heard of before, but to see this growth, I think is a real positive. And it is a chance for us to take a moment to stop and to celebrate the success and also a chance for us to stop and say, you know what? The agency business is going through its challenges, and it will, and it, and this will continue. But there are all these glimmers of real positive opportunity for agencies, and you know brands definitely need agencies to help them along. Of course, in-house agencies continue to grow, but at the same time, these agencies are testament that uh, things can be okay, and there is actually quite a bit of light at the end of this particular tunnel. Yeah, you know, it's like something you mentioned too. Is these are largely independent, and one of the reasons I think we really embarked on this project is because a lot of times you don't hear about these agencies until they're acquired, right? Like Minda, I don't know if that like that's that's how I've always felt. Is sometimes it's like you get the press release that WPP or Publicis or whoever is acquiring this company, and I'm always like. Wait, I'm sorry. Who are we talking about? <laughs> like, you right. know, it's like, and then you find out they're a three hundred million dollar company, and you're just like, wow, wow, where did they come from? Uh, and so I think part of this was just us trying to get out in front of it a little bit and help people identify some of these companies, um, just so that you actually know some. Because yeah, they're independent for now, but I have a hunch that quite a few of these yeah. are not going to be for long. Definitely. And I think what really struck me um, when I was, you know, sort of talking to these agencies and writing about them is um, 
so many of the the founders come from really unconventional backgrounds. I mean, um, you know, one of them was founded by a group of um, a group of people that used to work on political candidates and presidential campaigns, and they sort of. Uh, decided to take the knowledge and skill sets from doing that and, and take it to, to the agency world and, and apply it to brands. And um, so, you know, it's and especially in the age of brand purpose and, um, you know, brands trying to little, dig a little bit deeper and find out what they can really stand for, obviously the skills that um, the uh, a politician <laughs> would need definitely applies to brands as well in, in that sphere. Um, and so that that was interesting. I mean, I think one of the other founders used to be a nightclub owner or a nightclub founder before he uh, before he decided to go into the agency world. And then um, another another person was a sports agent, and they kind of realized that uh, when agencies are working with um, sports talent, um, that, you know, he kind of he realized that they the, the relationship could probably be better, and he wanted to go out and do it on his own and figure out how can I better uh, connect. Uh, athletes with with brands, and then he, his agency is doing really well too. So I mean, I think it kind of goes to show. You know, we always talk about this idea of bringing in diverse talent and talent from different backgrounds, and this list is kind of a testament to that. That these people um, are starting these agencies that are doing well, and they don't really have the the industry background that you that you might always think of. All right. Well, we've made the listeners wait long enough. Minda, tell us who is the fastest growing agency. Fastest growing agency is Flock Creative Network. They are a network based out of Jakarta, actually. Wow. How do you, how do you spell mm-hmm. that? How do you spell their name? Uh, Flock is F-L-O-C-K and then okay. Creative Network. Gotcha. All right. So, so what's they go their... by FCN. I think they go by FCN. FCN, huh. yeah. Yes. You can say that. Yes. Uh, what, uh, what's their secret sauce? Um, they sort of just, um, you know, like a lot of agencies around the world, they just, uh, I think they're, they're, they all have agency backgrounds, but they're kind of all coming at it from different, from different, uh, specialties and, and, and backgrounds. Um, but they, they kind of just came together to start something that kind of would cut a little bit of the fat and just work, work with brands in, in a way that's a bit more streamlined, which I think is kind of a trend that, that I at least have seen with this list, um. And they have really been great about just kind of building out their capabilities. Like if, if a brand comes to them and they want, I don't know, a production in-house or something like that, they'll just kind of build it for them and they'll do it. They seem very uh, nimble, I guess you could say. Um, and it's it's just really proved successful for them. And they've really grown quickly and they have a ton of um, ton of different subsets. And, and they work with uh, one of their biggest clients is Tokopedia, which um, they describe to me as the Amazon of Asia. So – they had a successful campaign with with Tokopedia, and it really just kind of took off from there. Yeah, and Indonesia is one of those markets in Asia that's just con- – it's on fire right now. I mean, just it's so much growth in that market. So they, they're catching a bit of a tailwind, but to Minda's point, they're doing a lot of smart things to really keep it nice and nimble. What were some – were there any other uh, either countries or cities like Jakarta that you saw uh, on the list in terms of kind of – not to say surprising, but you know what I mean. Not not New York, not Seattle. Uh, any cities jump out at you too? Hmm. I you know it's interesting. I th- I think that we did see we saw quite a few from London, which was interesting. In terms of we saw a couple from Phoenix, which was cool to see. Um, and then yeah, and some it, mainly around the major markets, um, Tom's River, New Jersey, which is not necessarily in the New York metro. Um, but it, yeah, it, it really ran the gamut, but it, it, a lot of it was some of the more known markets, but I think the Indonesia, 
uh, connection was was really interesting. And I think that when we got when we got that result, we all looked at each other and said, "That's that's really interesting." There's definitely an interesting story here. Another thing to point out, however, though, is that in some of the conversations that we've had with these agencies. Part of their growth, of, of course, a lot of it is getting new clients. And in a couple of cases, there were a couple of new projects or clients that tipped them into a really accelerated growth pace. But for most people, the narrative that we were hearing was lift from existing clients and word of mouth. In fact, there's one agency that's honored called Enter in Los Angeles that does not have a website. And they get all of their business through word of mouth and through growth of existing clients. And it's fascinating because we talk about marketing an agency and how difficult it is. This crew just does their thing and doesn't need to tell the world about it. But there they go. Yeah, you know, I've seen that. I've run into that, which is obnoxious for us trying to learn about a a new-ish agency. When you go to find them and they, a lot of them have these kind of placeholder sites Mm-hmm. That are just like, you know, basically like might as well have a little construction man icon like from 1997 right. of just like this website's under construction. But they, you know, it just shocks me that, that that's not, that it's not necessary. It's not like I'm I'm saying that they should have one. I think it's fascinating that they don't need one. And right. I've run into several lately where it's like maybe just a one page thing with their address on it. Yeah, and, I see that And then too. sometimes they're like four years old. Yeah. And it's obvious that and they make like, eighty million a year, and they they're none the wiser. <laughs> they're, they're, okay. You got to respect here's what that. <laughs> here's what we're gonna do. Okay, three of us. We're gonna start an agency. Just oh God, no, no website, no, no phone kidding. number, no, no email address. <laughs> it's gonna be impossible mm-hmm. to find. And then we're just gonna watch the millions roll in. <laughs> David, what are we gonna be focusing on? What's our agency going to be focused on? Uh, you know, I think experiential data. Right, experiential data. Mm-hmm. Okay. I'm just mashing up two two words that I feel like we could sell really well. Be like okay. uh, the world's number one experiential data agency, but but we won't have a website to say that on. So we'll really just have to kind of like work the room. Just really, what, kind of what will we be called, David? What's our brand name? Ah, man, that's you know I don't want to give away too much because I don't want to. I want to book the URL for the website, but then like not put anything on it. So if I if I say it. If I say it right now, I'm afraid people will will book it out from under me and then put something on it. And that, yeah, that would so you that would no be idea. the worst. You have no idea. Wow. Be like, keep us posted. Like I think that's literally true. With by the way, with I should but I should check this as I as I say it. Uh, DavidGriner.com, I believe is. You uh, seem like I, a dot, you seem like a dot org or a dot net kind of guy to me. <laughs> oh, I am I am not I am not nonprofit. Could never be a dot dot org. We uh, are in journalism, so there is some I, truth. I, to that. I think I own it, but nothing's on it. Like I've never had anything on it. But I think like some dude tried to bilk me for like seventy five hundred dollars mm. for davidgriner dot com, and I told Exciting. him that I earnestly did not care. <laughs> Anywhere near that much. And then one day GoDaddy sent me an email saying <laughs> saying it's available for fifteen dollars. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> so I picked it up for like fifteen bucks and uh, that guy did not get seventy five hundred bucks out of me. Right. But, uh, anyway. Um Doug, can you uh pull up the list there and rattle off kind of the top five of the fastest growing for us? So we have at number one, the aforementioned FCN, Flock Creative Network out of Jakarta. We have Advocate, that's spelled A-D-V-O-C with the number eight out of Washington, D.C. That was the group of former 
uh, political marketing folk, uh, and they've done a really nice job. Some of their clients include Axios, CNN, and Google. Enter the agency with no website out of Los Angeles. The GOAT agency, uh, ranking in at number four, that's in London. Dark Horses at five, also in London. Interesting backstory to them. Uh, when they started out, uh, they got some help from Lucky Generals. So they collaborated with Lucky Generals, and they've caught a nice little tailwind. Um, number six, Joy Media Collective out of Bethesda, Maryland, a multicultural agency. Uh, number seven, Highfield in New York. Number eight, Highlink Digital. Uh, which they're based in China, actually. It's a Chinese agency, but their U.S. operation is based in Santa Monica. And number nine, uh, David, you're familiar with this agency, Quirk Creative out of Brooklyn. And uh, the founders of that were on Adweek's Creative 100. And then number 10, Mute 6 out of Los Angeles. All right. Well, thank you. And I encourage everybody, definitely check out our fastest growing agencies. If you go to adweek.com or look up, uh, just Google uh, Adweek fastest growing agencies, you will find the full list and Minda's write-up and other write-ups on those agencies. Uh, so thank you both for all the work you put into it and uh, for walking us through some of those. Doug, not to end on a downer, um, but mm. I believe you wanted to tell us about a loss that the agency world uh, suffered this past week. Yes, unfortunately, the CEO of North America for MNC, Sachi Hugh Griffith, passed away at the age of 55. Um, yeah, uh, according to uh, his wife, Kate Bristow, who is a partner and chief strategy officer at the agency, uh, said that he was diagnosed with a rare and aggressive cancer three years ago. Um, you know, I, ha- I, I know Kate. Uh, I've, I've had a chance to meet Hugh once. Uh, and just knowing what I know about the L.A., market. Uh, It's huge. It's a huge market, but it's one of the most um, together collective markets that I've I've ever seen, quite frankly. I mean, similar to London where it's huge, but everybody, even though they're fighting tooth and nail for business, they, they still root each other on quite a bit. And this has been hitting them especially hard. So um, the agency actually uh, was founded in 1995, and that's actually when Hugh um, joined the agency. So he's, he was there for a very, very long time, and he helped open up the Singapore and Malaysia offices. He made his way to L.A. Uh, he, you know, he, he's one of the reasons that MNC Saatchi is a, a very strong agency, the largest collection of independent communications agencies in the world. Um, and uh, his, his wife... Uh, said something in her Facebook post that uh, I thought was was very poignant. Uh, she said, I'm broken today, but we will be strong. Hug your people tonight. So I thought those were you know, really wise words. I know that we are an industry that puts a great deal of emphasis and places a great premium on the work that we do, but we always need to remember that we are an industry of people and a lot of very talented people. And Unfortunately, it takes times like this for us to remind ourselves of that. So uh, best wishes to, of course, um, his family and also to the agency and also the L.A. agency community as well. Well, thank you so much for telling us about that, Doug. I do have a story up on our site for those who want to learn more. Uh, well, that's, that's all the time we have for this week. Uh, Minda, thanks so much for making time to be on the show. Thank you. And Doug, always a pleasure having you on. Always my pleasure too, my man. 
Our theme music is by Home. This week's episode was produced by Chris Ahrens with production assistance from Josh Rios and edited by Lane McGivney. If you haven't already, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, those reviews mean a lot to us personally, and they help new listeners discover the show. You can reach us anytime at podcast at adweek.com, podcast at adweek.com. And uh, yeah, that's it for us. I'm David Greiner for Adweek. We'll be back next week. Thank you.